Okay, so we're making our way through Matthew 24. Very, very important chapter of the Bible. It is really a synopsis of what happens in the end, the last seven years. And failure to get this, the understanding of this chapter wrong is going to be very detrimental for many people. Um, before we get into, uh, hopefully we'll finish up 24 today. We'll see how long it takes. I may stop somewhere along the way. But um, uh, we went through Matthew 24, 15 through 28 last week. I talked about the abomination of desolation. Talked about Hanukkah. And, uh, went to Daniel and showed how uh, the disciples would have known what Jesus is referring to uh, because of history, uh, because of what Daniel said, and uh, because of the celebration they have of Hanukkah. They would have known what he was referring to, and he pointed back to Daniel. And um, we see we talked about. Uh, Verse 19 talks about pregnant and nursing those days. Went into detail on that. And uh, But one thing I want to uh, point out here uh, in verse 26, I think we all kind of understood this, but I really didn't, I forgot to mention this last week. So therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. That word, do not go out there, uh, could also be translated, do not come out. It could also be translated, uh, to move out or away from an area. Uh, what do you think that's referring to? Yeah, and coming out. They're trying. Someone's gonna try to get you to come out of hiding, come out of that secret place that God prepares for you. Uh, so it's not just going out from anywhere to anywhere. It's coming out from a certain place. That they're trying to get you to come out from because they're trying to get you to believe that the Messiah has come. And then, of course, we know that we says in verse uh, 27 that this isn't going to be a secret coming. No one's going to have to tell you Jesus' return. You will know. You will know. And so, um, and we we talked about verse 28 a little bit. Um, and we saw that uh, eagles there is included in the list in Deuteronomy 14 of unclean animals. We went to Revelation 19 where God calls upon all the birds of the air. And the word translated as birds there in Revelation 19 means all unclean animals, all unclean birds. Uh, so we see how the eagles can be included that even though eagles don't necessarily usually eat uh, carrion, don't usually eat, they're not usually scavengers, they usually eat fresh food, uh, this will be an exception because all unclean birds, according to Revelation 19, will be called to feast upon the flesh of captains, kings, all those who rise up to come against Jesus in the battle of Armageddon. Reference to... Revelation 19, verses 17 through 21. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 11 through 18. Um, and so I've, I've heard some say that it couldn't, this couldn't possibly be talking about that because eagles don't, necessarily, don't usually feed on dead animals. Well, so what? They don't usually feed on them. That doesn't mean they can't feed on them eventually. doesn't mean that eagles never feed on them. I'm sure if eagles couldn't find anything fresh, they'd feed on dead stuff. They would. If God calls them to come, they're going to do it. It's like he called the animals to come. No. Right. Right. So, question? Another question about the part beforehand. I think I'm going to ask last time. Obviously, this presupposing our current time. How can anybody get in contact with us while we're in the secret place? Well, just because we're in a secret place does not mean people can't come in contact with us. This means that we can't. What the, the conditions are here is that we're being provided for by God, and that the Antichrist and his people cannot harm us. 
those are the only conditions there. doesn't say that we can't. When I say secret place, I don't mean that no one knows where it is. Um, in fact, I don't even know if it's ever called a secret place. I, I kind of put that word on it, so it's probably my fault. But it doesn't mean that people can't come to us. It doesn't mean there can't be false converts in our midst uh, or people who want to go out. Um, I don't know exactly what the conditions are going to be, the situation is going to be, but uh, surely people can try to tempt us to come out. Yes, brother, do you want to add to that? I was just saying it's also possible, you know, if you want to theorize a little bit, that the secret place doesn't necessarily need to be static. But it could be dynamic and moving around. Mm-hmm. You know, so just that, that place of protection is what mm-hmm. we're really talking about. Mm-hmm. And you know, we could like be in one place one time and then move to another place another time where the Lord leads us to I mean that's that's just as possible. Sure. I mean look at the I mean we this is being compared all through scripture to the Exodus. And forty years later they roamed around. Right. They didn't stay in one place. They roamed around before they finally went to the promised land. Right. So yeah, it's definitely highly possible. But the point is that there's going to be people who are going to try to get you to come out and try to tell you that the Messiah has come. Okay? To come out of one place and go to another area. Okay, let's read. We're going to read starting in verse 29. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When his, branches, when his branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But that day and hour no one knows, <clears throat> not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, <clears throat> and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. <clears throat> but know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, <clears throat> to give them food in due season? And blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. And surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. If that evil servant says in his heart, My master's delaying is coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants to, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and an hour when he is not aware of and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> okay, so verse 29, <clears throat> immediately after the tribulation of those days. The days he's referring to is the things we just talked about. And here's the problem for um, for amillennialists. Now, amillennialists believe there is no literal millennium. Okay, no literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. I think it's figurative. 
And um, they would say everything in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 is talking about AD 70. And we talked about why that couldn't be a couple weeks ago and why Matthew 24 is a completely different conversation than the conversation found in Luke 21. But this is going to be a problem with them. Because in AD 70, these things that are about, we're about to read in verse 29 did not happen immediately after AD 70. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Now, in AD 70, the sun was not darkened. In AD 7, the moon did not uh, lose its light. Of course, we know the moon gets its light from where? The sun. So if the sun is darkened, guess what? The moon is darkened too. And not only that, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. So what provides all our light in the day? Sun. What provides all our light at night? Stars and the... Are they all gone? Looks like it to me. Pretty dark place, huh? That's pretty dark. And in fact, if it's that dark, it's going to be hard to tell day from night, isn't it? It's going to be hard to tell day from night. So the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. And it says, then the sign then, and that word is at that time, Okay, so right after these things happen in verse 29, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So, did those things happen in AD 70? No, they did not. So they're going to have a problem with that as well. Not only that, with verse 30 now, another view of the end times, the pre-trib rapture view that we get, get out of here before the seven years, they're going to have a problem next because um, these things in verse 29, in fact, let's just go to Revelation 6 here. These things in verse 29 are talking about what happens at the sixth seal. <clears throat> and we see that Jesus returns. Um, he comes on the clouds with power and great glory, the Son of Man, after the sixth seal happens, at that time. So let's read Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17. So I had looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, which is a really dark red. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree dropped its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the, this is the response to the unbelievers when they see these things happening. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So, we see in, in uh, the sixth seal, the chronology, the same chronology we see in verses 29 and verse 30. So, when Jesus returns, we saw uh, last week that it's not a secret or private return, that someone has to tell you about it. Uh, everybody will know about it. And it says in verse 30 that all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And we see in Revelation 6, talking about the sixth seal, that all the men, the people who are wicked now, will say, rocks fall upon us. This is not just some people. This is all the people saying that. You know, and you watch, you, I mean, we have watched the Left Behind movies or something like that. 
you know, there is some, uh, you know, they picture these clothes being left all over the place. You know, you have an air, air, airplane pilot with his clothes left there and their airplane goes crashing down because no one can pilot it and all these things happening. You don't see that kind of stuff in scripture. We're going to get to people being taken and left here in a minute, but, um, you don't, you don't hear them saying, you don't hear these people saying, let the rocks fall upon us because the great day of the land's wrath has come in those kind of movies and those kind of books because they think they have seven years left when these things happen. But at this very time, the great day of the Lamb's wrath has come. And so we also see this uh, talked about in Joel chapter 2. Go to Joel 2 for a second. And Joel is found, I think, a couple of books after Daniel here. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. To kind of give you a reference point. And Daniel's found after Ezekiel, which is a big book of the Bible. <coughs> Yeah, Joel chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 10 and 11. It says, the, uh, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. <clears throat> the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and terrible. Who can endure it? And then turn to uh, verse 31 of Joel 2. And this is actually quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. uh, When he's, he actually starts out in verse 28 and goes through uh, part of verse 32 in the day of Pentecost. But we're just going to read verse 31 and it applies to what we're saying here. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So those things happen before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is a big problem for people who believe in a pre-trib rapture because they think all those things happen after he comes. Okay? And so we don't have, we don't have two more comings of Jesus. He comes secretly halfway back in the clouds, takes people with him, goes back to heaven, and seven years later comes back all the way. So that's not what you see in the scripture. You see him coming back one more time. And he, all these things are describing what happens when he comes back. And then we also have Isaiah 13. <clears throat> Verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> We'll just read through verse 11. It says, uh, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So you see these things talked about all throughout Scripture, about this combination of these cosmic signs, these great cosmic signs happening to the sun, the moon, and the stars, and align with Christ returning, the Lord returning. That's what you see happening all throughout the Scripture. Okay. Now what is this, this sign? Because verse 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the, sign, the Son of Man coming 
on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What is this sign? Uh, well, uh, it could be verse, what verse 27 talks about. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also with the coming of the Son of Man. It could be that. That could be the sign, him going around. You know, for for everyone to see his coming, he has to kind of maybe fly around the globe a couple times. I don't know. Uh, but everyone's going to see it somehow. So that could be the sign. Um, the sign could be um, the rapture. I'm talking about the preacher rapture and the poster rapture. All these people flying up. I mean, could you imagine what that would look like? To watch. And you're seeing it happen. Not this thing where you see a pile of clothes on the ground, that's it. You're actually seeing people go up, go up there to meet the Lord in the clouds. And on the way up there, their bodies are transforming. The dead are rising. The dead in Christ are rising. And they're going up into the sky. And their bodies are being changed. That would be an awesome sight. That's an awesome sign to see that. Um, re- What's that? Dead in Christ rise first. That's correct. And we'll get the first fringe 15 here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only light. That's correct. Because all the other lights are put out. Um, we see in Revelation 6.14, once again, going back to the sixth seal. We see in verses 12 and 13 the, the cosmic signs. And then in verse 14, this could possibly be the, the, the sign of the Son of Man. That the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. That's a pretty great sign right there. Um, you know, it could be something completely different. It could be, uh, if you go to Revelation 16 for a second, um, at the seventh bowl, Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 17, it says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. Uh, the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. This is going to talk about what, what uh, Six Seal talked about. Now, then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And this, could, this verse 21 could be talking about the sign. And great hail fell from heaven, from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent, Men blaspheming God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Maybe that's the sign of the Son of Man. The great hail, weighing a talent. A talent could weigh anywhere from 60 to 100 pounds, depending on whose measure of a talent you're using. The Egyptian measure, the um, Persian measure. Yes? Yep, that could be it too. Yeah, it's anywhere from 60 to 100 pounds. That's heavy. That's a heavy hail. I mean, we, we saw hail not too long ago. They're about this big. And it would hurt. I mean, that, that's like not even a pound. That's a big piece of hail. Yeah, well, it'd probably squash you. It'd probably knock you into the ground. Yeah, the little one can knock you out, yeah. Uh, but the big ones, they'd fall on top of cars and crush them. They'd probably knock you into the ground like a tent pig. Right into the ground. Right. Right, through through caves, too. Right, right. And so any of these things that are happening could be could be the sign of the sun, the, the, the sign of the Son of Man. Um, it's kind of, in my opinion, it's kind of up in the air as to what exactly he's referring to there. But all these things are happening at the same time, okay? And these are going to be great and mighty things that 
a whole earth is dark and they're seeing this lightning and thunderings and this great earthquake and the, the, the islands flee away, the mountains are no more, and, and this great hail is falling down. All these things happening at the same time, all could be combined, could be the sign of the Son of Man. But he appears in heaven, in the, in the sky, okay, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why? Because all the tribes of the earth will see him. And they'll see the sign of the Son of Man. So the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And that's the same exact thing that the angels said to the disciples uh, right before Jesus, or right after Jesus ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, Why do you stare up into the sky? The very way that Jesus was taken away, was hid by a cloud, is the very way he will return. And so he's coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, and then in verse 31, and he will send his angels with a great, with a sound of, great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, of the, from the one end of heaven to the other. So, um, what happens first according to this chronology of events? Is, is the tribulation happen first, or does the gathering of the elect happen first? Tribulation happens first. So once again, the pre-tribbers are going to have a problem with it because the gathering together of the saints happens at the coming of the, Son, of the Son of Man, which happens immediately after the tribulation of those days, after the cosmic signs. And so we see these things. It's very clear here uh, exactly what they're referring to. Just go to First Thessalonians chapter 4 for a second. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13. <clears throat> but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that's those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who, are, who have died in Christ. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who dead, who died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words." And so, uh, as Brother John alluded to a few minutes ago, the dead in Christ will rise first. It's after Christ ascends from heaven with a shout. You know, shouts usually aren't secret or private or quiet where no one can hear them, or only a certain people can hear them, uh, with the voice of an archangel and a trumpet of God. And that's what we see in verse 31, the sound of a trumpet. And that is the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet. We'll go to 1 Corinthians 15, which talks about this as well. I'm going through all these scriptures so you can see how it all ties so nicely together here. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15. And let's just read verse 23. Um, actually, let's start in verse uh, 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, that's physical death there, not spiritual death, physical death. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive, physically alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, first one risen from the grave, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. So when are those who are Christ risen from the grave or resurrected from the grave? At 
his coming. Not before then, after then, at his coming. Okay? And it's everyone who are Christ, not just some who are Christ. Everyone who belongs to Christ, when Christ returns, the dead ones who are dead and the ones who are still alive, will be ro- risen from the grave and will be risen to the resurrected bodies at his coming. Now go to verse 50. And this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. That's talking about our, our current bodies we're living in right now. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. That's getting our new bodies, our glorified bodies, would no longer be uh, prone to sickness and disease and death. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? So once we get resurrected from the grave, we'll never experience death again. Because death has lost its sting, we have risen from the grave. Revelation chapter 11. So see this trumpet being sounded every time here? We saw in Matthew 24, verse 31. We saw in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, we saw it in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And now I can see it in Revelation 11. And this is the seventh trumpet in verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded... And there were a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then one more time, Revelation 14, uh, verses 14 through 16. So then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Jesus is coming out of the clouds. Now on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat in the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And so that's what you see. Christ, The cosmic signs happen. Christ returns with power and great glory on the clouds. The elect are gathered. The harvest is gathered. That's what you see each and every time. And they're gathered from the four winds of the earth from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, four winds is basically five on north, south, east, and west. Everywhere, the elect are gathered. Okay? And to get a picture of the resurrection, let's go to Ezekiel 37. This will give you a picture of what the resurrection will look like. Now, Calvinists throughout the ages have twisted this scripture to talk about monergistic regeneration. Um, you know, they constantly, they'll say stuff, they'll use like the rising of Lazarus from the dead, the physical resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. They'll say, well, that's that's a picture of regeneration in someone's soul that, look, Lazarus, he just had to do what God told him to do. Well, that's a picture of physical resurrection. When it comes to regeneration, you becoming born again, God convicts, God draws, God brings the word of, of the truth to you, and then you must decide to receive that, to surrender to that, to draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Okay? You must choose to surrender that. But in Ezekiel 37, there's no choice here. When it comes to physical resurrection, all the elect will be risen first, and then a thousand years later, all the rest will be risen. There's no choice. You can't say, no, I'll just stay down here, God. You can't say that. You're going to rise from the grave. 
So we'll look at Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. This means they've been there for a while. There's nothing on them anymore. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. He said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, Ah, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Revelation 19 right there. They said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you should know that I am the Lord. I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from the graves. I put my spirit in you, and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, said the Lord. Okay, so we see this is the whole house of Israel. Now, Israel doesn't necessarily mean just the people who are uh, delineated from Jacob and from Isaac and from Abraham. We know from Romans 2, 25 and 29, that not Jews are only the Jews who are circumcised of the flesh, but Jews are those who are circumcised of the heart in Romans 2, 25 to 29. And that we know from Romans... 9.6, I'll read it to you. Um, it says, But it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, but they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Okay, so there's, a, there's an Israel, and in Romans 11 it says that the Gentiles are grafted into Israel. Okay? And become co-heirs of the land of Israel with Israel, Jacob, and Isaac, and Abraham, and to all those who have the circumcision of the heart, to all those who are grafted in, as Romans 11 talks about, grafted in to the vine. And so, the whole house of Israel is referring to all the believers of all time who have died. Now, can you imagine being an unbeliever and seeing bones come up from the grave and seeing sinews be put upon them, the muscle, the tendons, the ligaments, and then see flesh go upon them and then see breath enter into them? And then see him off into the sky. Can you imagine that? How scary that would be. How, how what, what kind of things would pass through your mind if you were an unbeliever, if you had taken the mark of the beast, if you were on the devil's side at that point? What a scary thing to see these things happen. For You know, oftentimes atheists will, will mock uh, Christ rising from the grave and say, oh, you believe in a zombie. You'll see some zombies. But they, they'll be all put together perfectly. 
perfectly and nice, no eaten up flesh, no messed up. It's all going to be put together perfectly the way it's supposed to be together. And then he will bring us into the land of Israel and we will be in a place that is our own land, Ezekiel 37 says. So this is a picture of the resurrection here. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right. I don't know who we're driving. Yeah, I don't know what you're saying though. If you're near a graveyard anywhere, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna come. It's gonna come. Yeah, there's bodies everywhere. I mean, there's bodies in the sea. The Bible says. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cruise ships will tell you that. People who have cremated their family and put them in the sea will tell you that. And so, yeah, we'll see these things. So the elect has come from all, all four winds, and Ezekiel 37 talks about the four winds from north, south, east, and west, from all over the planet. Wherever north goes, wherever south goes, wherever east goes, wherever west goes, that's where they'll be gathered from. And uh, then in verse 32, he, he talks about a parable here. And he says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. Now, some, uh, some people uh, who are on TV will kind of read more into this than there actually is. Um, remember, one of the most sound principles of interpreting the Bible properly, a literal sense makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Take no other sense lest you make nonsense. Okay, This is simply a parable that when you see a fig tree with tender shoots coming out, its, it's, it's uh, branches are tender, and you see leaves off them, you know that summer is near. You know it's close by. It's right, right at the door. And so when you see all these things, know that it is near. Okay, so what are all these things that you're supposed to see according to verse 33? All the things we've been talking about. When you see all these things, you know that it, what is it there? It is near. The return of Christ. Yeah, the return of Christ is near. Yes. So, so when you see all these things happening, you know that it is near. And I think we'll, I think we'll just go through verse 35 today and I'll finish the rest next week. Verse 34, Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away to all these things take place. Now here's, a, here's one of the problems. People who are amillennialists, remember those people who don't believe in a literal thousand year reign of Christ, they believe all these things happen in AD 70, they get that, one of the reasons they believe that is because of verse 34. This generation by no means pass away to all these things take place. Now, if a generation is typically 40 years, and Christ said it's around 33 A.D., and the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, well, that would make sense, right? But that's not what it's talking about. See, they misunderstand generation. They put the American uh, definition of generation upon us. They fail to go back to the Greek word genia to see what it actually means. So let's just talk about this one more time. We talked about this quite a bit in this thing. Just one more time to refresh your memory on this. And for the sake of those who may be watching through video who have not watched other teachings on this. Generation. Go to Matthew 23 and uh, verse 36. This is Jesus, of course, rebuking the Pharisees. He says to them, in, uh, starting in verse 35, he says, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. 
Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, this generation here can't mean a certain race or a lineage of people, which that word can mean. Junia can mean that. It can mean a certain race or a lineage of people. But it can't mean that here because, talk about when we went through this message here, that the, the generation of people, the race of people who killed Abel, was who? Who killed Abel? Cain killed Abel, that's right. And what happened to Cain's generation in the flood? Wiped out. His generation is no longer around. The only generation of Adam that survived the flood is the generation of Seth, who Noah came from. Okay, so Cain's generation is gone. And so it can't mean that the word generation here in verse 36 can't mean that because it says, um, whom you murdered. It says, uh, the righteous blood of, of Abel and the blood whom you murdered. Okay, so and on you may come all the righteous blood of the earth. So he's, he's referring to a generation of wicked people. Okay? Generation of righteous people, a generation of wicked people. We also have the sons of God, the sons of the devil. But when you have a son of God, it doesn't literally mean that God came down and had a wife and had you as a child. Okay? Does it? When, a, when someone's called a, a child of the devil, does that mean a devil came down and had a wife and you were his son or daughter? In that sense, does it? No, it means by your character, by the way you're acting. And the Greek word genia, I'm going to give definition one more time, those exhibiting common characteristics or interests. Or it can mean a race or kind of people. Okay? Uh, but we typically, when we think generation, we think, well, uh, the baby boomer generation. You know, that's a generation that was born when all the soldiers came back from World War II, and they were with their wives once again after being gone for so long. What happened from that was a baby boomer generation. We hear people talking about Generation X and uh, all these things we hear in our in our society. But generation doesn't mean here and anywhere that I can find. Jesus mentions it, a group of people living at the same period of time. Nowhere does he mean that. But if you impose that that definition of generation upon Matthew twenty four and verse thirty four, you will come away and probably be an amillennialist. Even though there's so many other problems with it. So. We have to understand that generation here can mean one of two things. It can mean, one, the generation of the righteous will by no means pass away. Okay? Two, it can mean the generation of the wicked, because what are they going to do to the saints until the end? They're going to persecute them until the end. Generation of the wicked will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Or it can mean the Jewish race who is involved in all this will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, I've, in the past, leaned towards that last one, but I'm leaning more towards the first two now. So, But either way you go with that, the point is, it's not referring to the people living at that point in time, the group of people who are living, who are contemporary with each other. Like we would call, um, say, my, Tracy, and Kevin, we're probably all part of the same generation. Because Tracy, you're, what, 39 years old? Yes. Brother Kevin's 40, I'm 34, so we're probably part of the same, we'd be called the same generation because we were born around the same time frame, uh, and we will probably die around the same time frame if we live out our life. Uh, but it's not referring to that here. It's referring to a different type of generation, the generation of the wicked, generation of the righteous. And it, we've seen other reasons why it couldn't be referring to that because it would make, it wouldn't make sense of the rest of this, this passage, this, this chapter here. Okay? So make sure you understand that. The generation is talking about there is not that. And go to Matthew 12, uh, 39 through 42. Uh, 
Just keep your finger there for a second. I forgot to mention one more thing from Matthew 23 that I mentioned when we went through this before. It says that, Surely all these things have come upon this generation. Was Jesus a part of that generation? Were the disciples a part of that generation? Is Jesus going to hold his disciples and himself accountable for what the wicked have done to the righteous and the prophets? Of course not. So it's another reason we can't be referring to the generation alive at that point in time. Matthew 12 and verse 38. Uh, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So an evil and adulterous generation, talking about a certain group, a certain type of people, who exhibit the same kind of characteristics. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, is that talking about all people living at that point in time? Are the men of Nineveh going to judge and condemn the disciples? Are the men of Nineveh going to judge and condemn Jesus Christ? Are the men of Nineveh going to judge and condemn all the people who have become Christians on the day of Pentecost? No. So he's referring to a generation in a different sense. The people who are wicked, who have certain characteristics, common characteristics, because they repented the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Is the queen of south going to condemn all the people living at that point in time? No, because there were some people living at that point in time who were not wicked, who were not adulterous, who were not looking for a sign like, like you just referred to here. Um, they were following him and obeying him. Okay? So we must get this Greek word, genia, translated as generation properly um, to understand these things so we don't get confused at what Matthew 24 is talking about. But even if we were to take that position, that generation is referring to the group of people living at that point in time, we'd have all kinds of problems throughout Matthew 24. All kinds of problems. And so you'll see someone who, who are amillennialists, they'll point to verses like these to prove their point, but it doesn't prove their point. And finally, in verse 35, we'll finish up here for today. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means pass away. Now, the word there for pass away doesn't mean like it ceases to exist. It means that it passes by, like if I was uh, outside playing basketball and cars drive by. They pass by. That's what the Greek word means here. They pass by. So the, the earth as we now know it will cease to be, as we now know it. But it doesn't mean this earth will cease to be. But its current condition it will cease to be. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And verse, we'll start in verse 18. And we'll see kind of a description of what I think this is talking about here. <clears throat> Romans 8 and verse 18. And we'll go through verse uh, 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings that Christians are going through, not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, well, let's stop right there. 
So, the creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because what will happen to the revealing of the sons of God? It'll be changed, it'll be released from the bond of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So not only do the children of God, according to Titus 2, long for Christ to return and for the revealing of the sons of God, but creation itself longs for the revealing of the sons of God because it can be uh, released from the bondage of corruption. It'll be changed. And um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Most of us probably know what that says, but I'll just read it to you anyway. Probably quote this quite a bit in the open air. Second <clears throat> Corinthians five seventeen. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Same word there, have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, what it's saying there in Second Corinthians five seventeen is our old conduct, our old way of living, has passed away. We're no longer living that way. And we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen when Christ returns and the revealing of the sons of God happen. The earth will be changed to a what Revelation 20 talks about or calls a new heaven and new earth. But not new in a sense that the old one is completely gone. They bring a completely new one in. But the Greek word there is kainos, which means re- refreshed, unused, unworn. Uh, delivered from the bondage of corruption. Just like we're new creatures, same Greek word there, we don't literally pass away, but our old way of living does pass away, doesn't it? When someone becomes a Christian, and the new way of living comes in. And we're new creatures in Christ, because we're living differently. Living according to God's will. And so when verse 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, it doesn't mean like it ceases to exist, or it's completely taken away, and new, new heaven and earth comes in, but they'll be changed. That's for sure. They'll be new in that sense, just like we became new creatures in that sense, when our conduct changed from the old to the new. Okay, and then if you want to look more into the, the new heaven and earth, you can read Isaiah 65 and 66 and read Revelation chapter 20. And uh, you can even read, uh, I believe it's Second Peter 3. That talks about it a little bit too. Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the other passage here. Yes, but we'll, we'll get more into a little bit of that next week. <clears throat> but I'm going to stop there for today. And uh, next week we'll get into knowing the day or the hour, what that means, uh, how we'll be preparing for that day and hour, and if we can know the day and hour or not and what happens to those who turn back. Okay, so let's go ahead, and I know we didn't get to too many verses here, but we covered quite a bit of uh, stuff here, so open the floor up for discussion here, for questions, objections, or uh, people may have. Yes? It says in uh, verse 29, it talks about immediately after the tribulation, and uh, the sun will be darkened, the moon will, will also be darkened, and you see other parts of Scripture will turn as blood, so even though it will be dark, it will be somehow appearing as a red color yeah. in some way. And then it says that um, stars uh, fall from heaven and uh, the powers of heaven will be shaken. I also noticed in some of the other Scriptures that you brought out that there's a, uh, the mountains being moved out of their right. places and things being moved. It's uh, talking about like a worldwide earthquake 
Yeah, great earthquake. And there's even a, a scripture in the Old Testament. I'm not sure where it is. I can't remember it. That's talking about how the land will move to and fro and should be reeling as like a drunkard. Drunkard, right. right. Might be in Zechariah. And that's kind of interesting because I recently uh, kind of learned about something that if you have a major earthquake in an area, like say, uh, take Japan for instance, because this actually happens in Japan quite a bit. They have a major earthquake in Japan. It breaks up and moves all the dirt that's above it, mm-hmm. and because everything's taken out of its place, it's moved and it's out of its place. It does a thing called liquefaction, mm-hmm. and the land actually moves like liquid. Right. And just in that, that's moving just like the Bible's describing the land moving to and fro as if like a drunkard. Right. So I think that possibly, uh, whenever this worldwide earthquake happens that the whole earth will kind of like have a liquefaction type thing taking place. Right. And that's going to be kind of... Uh, and and that, that goes along with what uh, um, Second Peter 3 talks about too. About dissolving and being turned to liquid. It goes along with that quite a bit. Um, but the Revelation 16, the 6th, 7th bowl, uh, says in verse 18... And there were noises and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a, such a mighty and great earthquake has not occurred since men were on the earth. Yeah, but the greatest earthquake ever. Uh, it probably won't be a Richter scale reading for such a thing. Off the scale. So. Basically, all the plates on the entire earth will be vibrating and moving. Right. Right. Amen. Yeah. Going back to Virginia for a minute, mm-hmm. and uh, describing a characteristic of a group of people, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, I think that kind of ties together with the elect. Uh-huh. Do you agree with that? Sure right? does. So the, the precious to the elect to the obedient, those that are obeying the gospel, loving Christ, this is the Israel, these are those that are governed by God, mm-hmm. and those that are in it. Yeah, and, and like I said, in verse uh, 30, 35, um, I'm sorry, verse 34, where it says generation will not pass away, it could be talking about the Jewish people not, not completely being destroyed. They, it's, the devil has tried to destroy them constantly throughout time. It's about the generation of the righteous, because we're going through such heavy persecution, we might think there's some man, we're all going to be gone. And it keeps up. And we might think generation of the wicked, you know, how long, O oh Lord? Are you going to wait until you destroy them? And so all three groups aren't going to pass away until Christ returns, but until all these things are fulfilled. But I don't know exactly which generation it's referring to there. But, uh, yeah. I had a question about the Ezekiel okay. passage. Well, Ezekiel 36 and 37 right. have typically been yep. used to refer to Israel becoming a nation again. Right. Right? Yep. I was just reading through them as, as you were talking, and, and uh, uh, it, it does it does say, you know, in both chapters, and like in verse 24 of 36, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the country, to bring you into your own land. Mm-hmm. But as you go on, it talks about then I'll set David as your king, and no one will rule over you anymore. Right. And all the, there's lots of other things that certainly haven't happened. Right. But I've always, right. you know, and then in like 37, in verse 21, it says the same thing. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, surely I will take 
the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side, bring them into their own land. Sure. Make them one nation. Um, and I will have one king over them. They shall no longer be two nations. They shall uh, never be divided into two kingdoms again. Right. But it, but it goes on and lists things that certainly haven't happened yet. So. Right. Verse 25 is what you're talking about. My servant David shall be their prince forever. Right. Yeah, yeah, that certainly hasn't happened. No. That's, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. Yes, forever. yes. And, and, and people, I mean, you really have to read into this and make it a more uh, of a figurative reading instead of a literal reading here when it says um, in verse 12 of Ezekiel 37, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if God brings someone into the land of Israel... Do you think that, I mean, first of all, there's still Jewish people scattered all over the place. They're still scattered, so not all of them are in the land of Israel. Secondly, you wouldn't have other places threatening to take it away and, and be in a position to take it away. No, I mean, God, God's put them there. That's all there is to it. Yeah, so, but these people are, these are dead bones that are being caused to live. Yeah, and so that's the literal interpretation. I have no reason not to take it that way. And the only reason to, 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 uh, to not take it that way is if you have a preconceived bias before you come to the scripture and say, well, I don't think it's going to happen exactly. I think it's going to be a secret rapture. We're all out of here. And that's the way it's going to happen. And then eventually we'll just go to heaven. As I'm a millennialist say, instead of coming into the land of Israel. You know, that's, those, those are, you know, kind of things they come to the, this passage with right. and say, well, it's got to be figurative then. It's got to be talking about Israel coming into the land because it can't be talking about those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I've always heard it. I've always heard it talking yeah. that way. They, yeah. These are, these are, very special passages to the to the, to the you know, yeah. pre-trib teachers and the, you know that teach about Israel coming back. But do you would you um, now now them coming back into the land? There's other passages though. Is there is there other passages that come to your mind that do specifically talk no. about them coming back in the land? No, no passages come to mind. But let's let's think about this logically. I mean, if you're going to build another temple, which has to happen. Because you have to have that abomination of desolation before, then they must be in the land because only one place temple can be us in Jerusalem. Right. Okay, that's been ordained by God, mm-hmm. and so they must come into the land and take back control of it for those things to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have any verse off the top of my head. So that, yeah, I'm sorry, brush on your next question. I was looking for something to continue his question, but I was going to ask. Well, okay, how do preterists, as you really mentioned them, they hold that view also. How do they view the end time? Well, there's partial preterists, there's full preterists, and, you know, times that I've had understanding of what a, a preterist is, I'll, I'll talk to preterists and say, you believe this, that, this, and that. I said, no, I don't believe that, I'm a partial preterist. And so it's kind of the same issue with Calvinists, it's kind of hard to pin them down because they never, they're not one one group. Yeah. And so, but they'll take words, um, they believe the full preterist believes everything happened back then. Everything in Revelation, all of it happened back then. Partial preterists believe that some of it happened back then and some of it didn't happen back then. But the problem with that is the reason they come to this preterist position because of the language they see, uh, this by generation will pass away, these are coming quickly, you know, these different words they see, they, they believe these things, and then the partial preterists say, well, they kind of pick and choose which one meant actually means literally quickly, literally back then, and which ones don't mean literally back then. And so, it's kind of hard to pin them down, but as far as as Christ returning, do you know what they believe on that, brother? I haven't finished too, too much myself. 
Yeah. I'm still studying it myself. You get... Yeah, I just know as a baby Christian, like very, 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 you know, getting the scriptures at all. People be like, Jesus lied, look, he didn't come back. Yeah. That kind of threw me. I had no idea what this word meant. I was like, well, the only thing I knew about that generation was right then. Right. Kind of threw me. Yeah. Never had an answer for it. It amazes me that people won't just go to the Greek word and, I mean, these people who who believe in preterism, who believe in amillennialism, who have degrees and they. And it's something as simple as going back to the word and seeing what it means, and just looking, doing a word study, and seeing how Jesus used that word. Uh, it just seems pretty simple to me. Instead of trying to take it against the whole context and right. anything you know about, take one word and use that one word, mystifying, to define all the rest of that chapter and all the rest of eschatology. It doesn't make any sense. That all falls under presupposition. Yeah. People come yeah. around presupposition on that. Either uh, something uh, talking about what you were discussing about uh, people believing that those passages that you brought out uh, mean that the physical people of Israel are going to return to Jerusalem as a nation and as a people. Uh, there are people that actually believe that. And there's actually a movement uh, going on called the Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And this organization, their whole purpose is to end the diaspora, or that's what they call it. Diaspora, yeah. Yeah, diaspora. I, I can't pronounce it very well. but yeah. uh, This means a dispersion of the Jews. Yeah, the dispersion of the Jews. Uh, you know, they believe that they're bringing an end to that, that they're bringing the people of the Israel back into Israel, uh, back into their land, and their whole purpose uh, now, presently, is to build that third temple. So these, these things are taking place now, and people trying to get things together to build the temple, although we see those verses as actually being the rapture uh, after you know, at the second coming. Right. So what we see them as what they are. The people that, that misinterpret these things are trying to... Sure. It's almost like the people that tried to bring uh, uh, the kingdom of God on earth type theology yeah. where they just say, well, let's just build up Christ's kingdom for him and get his kingdom in place. Right. That way all he has to do is come and take it. Yeah. It's the same type of idea. Yeah. Yeah, the Temple Institute in Israel, they have all, everything right, prepared. Temple Institute for the crown. Yeah, that's the crown from the medical priest. Oh, they just did the... They just, they just got the crown. It's a beautiful crown, golden crown. I think they have all the articles of the Temple prepared. I'm not uh, sure if they have all of them, but I know the latest one that was yeah. done was the crown. Mm-hmm. It has, uh, has God's name on it. Yeah, they have all the implements needed for doing the... Um, uh, Daily rituals of sacrifice, sacrifice incense right. burning, yeah. all those things, all those implements are already there and made. So as soon as it's built, they can go right to it. Yeah. And they also have um, um, outfits or uh, the uh, robes that the Levites are supposed to wear with the ephods and everything right. like that. That's already made and waiting and sitting there. And also they're in the process of training up right. a Levitical priesthood right. uh, that they're raising up younger. Uh, Israelites and training them, and, and, and I think I believe they're actually even keeping them as virgins, even hmm. uh, trying to raise them up to become Levitical priests. Huh. So there's a there's a. Uh, well, why do they do that? I mean, they're, they're not required to be. I, I, priests I, aren't required to be virgins. I've, I've been reading. It's a Roman Catholic idea. They had lost the uh, the records of, of the genealogies and the construction mm-hmm. temple. So how do they they determine or appoint who these Levitical priests are going to be? Good question. Yeah. A bigger question: How do they determine who the Messiah is? Yeah, these uh, Levites are choosing them among the rabbis. Yeah. 
So the most uh, preeminent rabbis are the ones who are being chosen as priests. So there is like a voting that's going on. So they're actually being chosen sure. that way. But I'm talking about they're, you know, they're they're trying to get the, the yeah everything in place. Yeah, the entire structure of priesthood isn't like just one group of people that just reign everything. Uh, they actually were, were training the younger ones, bringing them up to take their place. And there's a whole system involved in that a whole system to keep it going. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get that system back in place. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's moving that direction. I think we've kind of mentioned this, or I've heard Tim mention it, it's just kind of a, it's a logical position. We don't think stars are actually going to hit the Earth, right? Like, because they're a lot bigger than us. Uh, no, I don't think stars are going to hit the Earth. The Greek word there is aster. Um, it makes sense that a large hail, seeing ice coming down, like, yeah. space, something coming down. I don't know what it would be. Yeah, I think it's, that could be what it's referring to. Like ice and rock. It could be referring down. to hail there. No. No. Yeah. This, this, the most stars. I mean, our sun is a is a normal sized star, from what I understand. But there's stars that are much much bigger than our sun. Uh, there's stars that are smaller too. But I, I don't know of a, a star that's smaller than our planet. Yeah. Um, I'm not an astronomer, but you know, I'm, I don't know of a star smaller than planet. But I, I do think the stars, the literal stars, will lose their light. But when it talks about the stars, the asters that fall to the Earth, that's referring to asteroids, I would say. Whether it's the actual hail or not, whether it's referring to the same thing or not, I have no idea. But it could be referring to the same thing, yeah. Is it possible that that word fall could have an alternate meaning? Uh, verse 13 of Revelation 6, and the stars of heaven fell to the Earth. No, I'm talking about in uh, Matthew, 24? Matthew 24, when it says uh, they, was, uh, they will fall from heaven. Life, stars will fall from heaven. Yeah. I mean, that, that that could simply just be referring to them. They're not giving their light, falling right. from the sky, uh, being dimmed. Rolling up of the scroll. Yep. That could, that could be referring to that. So it wouldn't yeah. literally be coming down to earth at the sixth seal, but right. just uh, rolling up and disappearing. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's what uh, I think Second Peter 3 talks about that, uh, rolling up like a scroll. And First Thessalonians 4 talks about it too. Um, you, you, when you have a scroll open, you're able to read it. But it rolls up, the letters are gone now. Yeah, so, whether the, whether the stars themselves are actually going to be gone for good or not, I, I really have no idea. I don't think the Bible says that. I mean, I know the Bible says that, that the light in New Jerusalem is going to be from, from God, His glory. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, though. And what is contained in the heavens? Nothing? Yeah, I don't know. But I do know that those stars will change. Um, you know, there'll be changes like this earth will be changed. I remember, at least. I remember, uh, non-Christian trying to use that. Stars can hit earth, and I know that. Not, not yeah, those are asters. That's the Greek word aster there. Comet, meteor, asteroid, mm-hmm. any of those things. It could be the hail, too. So, although I'm not sure, I'm not sure if asteroids are, are usually ice or not. I think they're... That was ice and rock, that's what they were. Yeah. But hail is just all ice. So there's a little bit of difference between an asteroid. I mean, when hail falls from the sky, you, you don't you don't think they're asteroids falling from the sky. No. So, no. I guess another question I would ask on that is: Do we believe this is going to be uh, some uh, natural thing that God brings about, or if this is going to be just a supernatural thing? Because when we look at the uh, plagues in Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, 
the hail uh, mingled with uh, fire and that is going to mingle with fire and blood, I believe, is what it says here, doesn't it? Uh, for that, those plagues. Uh, that was completely supernatural. I don't believe that uh, God had some asteroid come in contact with Earth and then come through the atmosphere right over top of Egypt and, and do it that way. I believe that He supernaturally caused that to happen, just like the supernatural turning the water and the blood and the rivers and all of those things were all supernatural. Uh, well, it could be. I mean, some people could say that a big, uh, huge mass of ice could come close to the Earth and then come right down onto the Earth. Someone could make that supposition. Yeah. That's why I raised the, the, the possibility. Well, all the, all the plagues in Egypt required, required God's intervention. I mean, down to all the boils, all the frogs, all the different things that happen. <clears throat> God is using natural things. Right. But he's using them in a supernatural way. And making them come about in a supernatural way, too. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I, I would say that the hail coming from heaven or whatever doesn't necessarily have to originate from an asteroid somewhere in space. Oh, no, I wouldn't that's, say that. That's what I'm trying to get No, at. I wouldn't say that, no. There's some people I can, I can think of that would try to make that sense. Well, hailstone doesn't come, hails, hail doesn't come from space anyway. It comes from clouds. Mm-hmm. So well, there's comets. Asteroids come from clouds. Comets are made of ice. Right, but that the ice, ice and rock though. Hail is usually just ice. I mean, I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be picky here. I'm just trying to. I'm just saying. I believe it's going to be supernatural. Yeah, there's definitely. Some, I mean, 75 pound. I think they're going to be supernaturally brought into existence. Clouds don't necessarily usually bring out 75 pound hailstones. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess we can look in the Guinness Book of. Oh, that's a good question. I don't. I don't really know that at this point. I have to study it some more. But uh, I have to look at the Guinness Book of World Records. But I don't. I don't think that typically uh, the hail comes out at seventy-five, you know, sixty to one hundred pounds. And so I don't know if there's ever been one like that. Uh, it'd be well, interesting. In order to do that, this hail is created in, in the updraft and storm. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, seventy-five pounds has to violate, uh, you know, so much wind, mm-hmm. updraft wind, the, uh, to come down in that form. Yeah, there's going to be a great uh, rushing wind according to Second Peter three. Great rushing wind, <laughs> loud storms, and yes, both. Yeah. I just want to mention uh, something or ask about the. Yeah, I heard you say the seven year tribulation. I've never seen that in the scriptures. Just when people add up three and a half years and things. I heard the pre tribulation rapture. Folks say there's seven years tribulation, mm-hmm. but I've never seen that. Maybe. Well, there's, there's definitely a, definitely a seven-year tribulation here. I, I can give you the scriptures for it here. I got it right here on a card. Okay. I don't know if I call it seven-year tribulation. I call it seven-year period. There's actually a three-and-a-half-year tribulation, as I would understand it. That's great tribulation. Right, great tribulation. Yeah, there's definitely Matthew 24 at the beginning talks about tribulation. It says, uh, let's see here, uh, verse nine. That's tribulation. I guess it could be the last three and a half years. But it's definitely a seven-year period. If you, I can give you, if you want to write it down, I can give you all the references to this 42 months in the Scripture. There's 1,260 days in the Scripture. Time, times, and a half a time, which is three and a half years. There's also 1,290 days and 1,335 days. And so um, it's obvious in Revelation 11, for example, <clears throat> the two witnesses, they prophesy for three and a half years, and they are killed at a point in time when the Antichrist comes into power and then he rules for three and a half years. 
So three and a half plus three and a half equals seven. Yeah. So the Bible never says, you know, literally there's seven years, but it's obvious when you look at the chronology of the events that there's a three and a half and a three and a half period of time. There is that passage in Daniel too, Daniel nine, that talks about that last week. Yeah, that's true. And that seven-week yes. prophecy, and everybody understands that to be seven-year period. Yeah. Yeah, it actually says that's what I was looking at, one week. Very good. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, and a week there means it's just a group of sevens. That doesn't literally mean Monday through, you know, Sunday through Saturday. A group of sevens is what it means there. And so it can mean seven years. That's what we believe it means. Thank you, Brother Tracy. Appreciate that. But, but the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years, which you see in Matthew 24, when the Antichrist is in power. So, But we're going to talk about that more next week, about these. Uh... So, anybody else?